welcome to the Anti-Architect Podcast. I am your host, Christian Giordano. As president and owner of the design firm Mancini Duffy, I am driven by a quest for learning and radically changing the industry. With this podcast, I'm hoping to improve the industry that I'm so passionate about by taking a critical look at how architects work through a variety of voices and shared experiences. Hello, Anti-Architect Podcast listeners. I'm excited to have Roger Kurlak as my guest here today in our new studio on the Anti-Architect Podcast. Roger is the founder and CEO of Full Stack Modular. Roger has over 25 years in the construction industry with extensive experience in both construction and the development side of real estate. In 2008, Roger spearheaded the first R&D project for modular construction, which led to the founding of Full Stack Modular and the creation of the tallest volumetric modular building in the world. He is the recipient of Popular Mechanics Breakthrough Award in 2014 for his work on creating high-rise on creating a high-rise modular process. Full Stack is based in the Brooklyn Navy Yard and focuses on multifamily, student housing, and the affordable housing markets. Their technology and process make them unique and the best at what they do. By the time we finish this conversation with Roger, he will have convinced us all that modular construction is faster, more cost-effective, and certainly the future of building, I guarantee it. Roger, thank you so much for uh, being my guest here. Good to see you, Christian. <laughs> so uh, we met actually at a YPO event, yep. probably now four or five years ago, I at would least. say. Yeah, yeah, for those whole COVID years in between. Exactly. So, and uh, it was a construction industry event. And honestly, you were the highlight of, for me, for that entire thing, right? Because a lot, it was a lot of construction along the way, very little that had to do with with architects. And, I'm, you know, we're always trying to be progressive. So I thought, you know, it, it, it's great that you're here because because I think that you have a lot of forward thinking ideas and you know this industry needs it. But so first I want to ask you a couple of questions about architects. So if you had to pick one thing, what annoys you about architects? A bit of control freak. Uh, I need to control the process and agency by which something is being created. Um, as somebody who um, is trying to move productization and manufacturing into the built environment, we have to collaborate. And uh, and a lot of times that means that we have to share agency. We don't have to take over agency, but we have right. to share agency. And for a lot of architects, for a lot, not all, that's uncomfortable. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. So in your opinion, what do architects do well and what do we do wrong in, in the process? I think it requires a little historic sort of picture. And, and, um, and uh, if you look at the way, what architects, I think, originally did uh, and I'm talking about like when they were the only people in charge of men, you know, building yep. uh, way back when yep, yep. Uh, <clears throat> Renaissance or before. <laughs> um, uh, you know, the, the idea of uh, conceiving of, um, of of a of the built environment in a way that is compatible with the uh, the location that it's in the people that are going to live in it or occupy it and how it's going to react to the environment and the materiality of it, et cetera. I think that's what architects do really well. Mm -hmm. 
And if they stuck to that, I think it would be a very effective process. Um, oftentimes, that's not the case. And there are a whole bunch of reasons for that. Um, and it's not entirely the architect's fault. <laughs> I mean, the, the industry as a whole has done a bunch of things to disrupt the ability to deal with that. What, do you, what are some of those that, that kind of pop into your head? Well, well, the first thing is, is that if you look at architecture from the 50s and a set of uh, drawings, the drawings were uh, specific, detailed um, means and methods were part of the process. It sure. was a complete set of blueprints, the way that you would look at it in the dictionary rather yeah. than what we create today. And so as a result of that, the, the thought of how it was going together um, was part of that process as... Um, as development or, or the development uh, took over that process, what's happened is, in my mind, is that the architect um, is less and less involved in that, both because of the insurance industry and because developers don't want to pay for it. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, and architects hope to make their money in construction administration. Uh, all of that has moved to a point where it is less, in my mind, than schematic, usually even to the point where you get a building permit on something that is less than schematic. And right. now you... Everybody else has to figure it out. Yeah. And so, so what's happened uh, from a systems perspective, it, it has become um, dysfunctional, if not, if not, if not, not functional. And yeah. that's a double I, negative. I, I don't disagree. I think one of the other reasons too is that as architects, we and it's one of the criticisms I've, I've you know levied many times is that. We know how to draw, but we don't necessarily know how to build, right? And I think that's a product of, of the schooling at this point. Not that all the schooling is bad. There's a lot of critical thinking that's taught in school, but the actual act of building is doesn't it doesn't enter into that, right? And you end up with, and we, we have plenty of people here, you're learning on the job, right? You've got to learn as you go into the field. You've got to learn as you've made your mistakes, as you've drawn details that have absolutely no relevance to what's actually being constructed. And so there's that huge disconnect. Huge disconnect. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's a problem on top of that, I think. Oftentimes, because of schooling, because of architecture, because of, um, you know, and, I, and I've lectured at most of them, uh, the, the, there's a preaching of sort of the, the, the design element of architecture and oftentimes um, form before function instead of function before form mm -hmm. really drives um, the process. Absolutely. Um, uh, I remember um, just about two years ago, I got a call from from my lobbyist and they sent me a drawing from an architect uh, and said, you know, could you do this modular because it's too expensive? And I hate that conversation anyway, but <laughs> but 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 it was um, a deeply affordable um, uh, assisted living facility in Canarsie, Brooklyn area. OK. And it was designed like. The Bilbao Museum, not the same architect, but it was designed like uh -huh. it was curvy and it was, oh, you know, man. like the, the, the facade alone was probably more than they could afford to build the building for. Yeah. And to me, it was like, I love architecture and I love, <laughs> you know, I love the aesthetic um, come from a family of artists. But it was just totally not thinking about like these people, first of all, don't ever leave their room, let alone, let alone sort of the. The yeah. aesthetic of that building yep. and the need yep. to so, so so that's a that's a that's an extreme example, um, but 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 there is that problem. So we have a, we have a need, and I don't think we should forget that we want to have um, an aesthetically pleasing Absolutely. space building environment. I love that, yep. but 
you need to you need to balance that. But aesthetically pleasing doesn't necessarily always mean extra expensive and curvy and and you know like we're in our new office here and we did it for a, you know a good budget you know yeah. and we stuck to our budget and we made it as as good as we could for that budget and I think it turned out great. It doesn't you know paint goes a long way. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, look, there's lots of wonderful things and there's lots of opportunities. It's yeah. just taking advantage of them where they make sense exactly. and, and being smart about it. Do you think our part of the education or or maybe post, you know, in order to whatever, get licensed or get a job, um, do you think that architects should have field experience? Do you think we should bring that back? Yeah, no, I love that. <laughs> um, I, you know, I mean, it, there's nothing I like. I, I actually think I do think that that's a great idea. But I think there's a there's even a, a sort of a more global idea, which you're seeing happen now, um, which is that the industry, in order to be continuously successful, modular or not, needs to move to a design build process where the team is chosen and the goals are picked yeah. and the expertise that you need collectively is brought to the table in anticipation of a set of goals, yep. whether that be cost, time, aesthetics, et cetera. And you're finally seeing that both public, private, public and private partnerships. It's finally starting to happen. It's yeah. not big, uh, just like modular isn't big yet, but it's getting there. Yep. Um, and I do think um, I heard from a bunch of architects that run um, projects in California for universities that are we're doing everything design build now. The team yeah. is, the team is, and they're coming up with mechanisms to try to get things moved along in an interesting way. For example, hiring the, the, um, the, uh, the electrical and mechanical contractors to do shop drawings and process and equipment integration yeah. as, as a design process, not guaranteeing them the project, but actually using their technology and information because that's where architects and engineers have moved Absolutely. most of the built environment is they just drop it on the electrical, you know, give us a price and now you figure out how to build it. Exactly. And so, so now they're saying, okay, now that you know how to build it, let's use that. And I think that's quite, Brilliant. You know, I think mean, that's a brilliant approach. I, I agree. And I, I think we're, first of all, that's great that it's happening in California because usually those trends start in California. You know, delivery processes start there and they end up you know, in, the, in the Northeast. And then, you know, we either really adapt them or we abandon them wholeheartedly, right? But <laughs> well, we right? actually abandon them for as long as we can. <laughs> <And then laughs> this is yeah. New York. <laughs> so and then eventually we'll. And we're forced into them, exactly. So, but what I, what I do see is I see both on our end, right? I see design-build partnerships a lot of times with the big public projects. Um, that's kind of how we're, A, we're qualifying for them, right? Because the team has to have a certain makeup. And so therefore it becomes a design build partnership. That team then focuses and those projects have gone really well for us, like at airports, things like that. <laughs> yeah. And then we're seeing it on sort of the, the, almost the complete opposite end where we have a design build partnership where we're doing uh, self-storage and warehouse industrial buildings because those have to be a certain level of efficiency. Um, the contractors really know how to build them, but the landowners, developers, they want a little bit more design, right? They don't want this just dumb box, right? They want a dumb box on three sides and one side to be you can mark dumb, it right. right? Exactly. So it's a little bit better than the next thing. So it's interesting you, you see those sort of at the, the two extremes of things. So somewhere in the middle, it'll, uh, it'll come together. So thinking about kind of architects and, and how we work, do you think there needs to be a paradigm shift you know, just in the way that we come at design in general? 
Oh, I think I think it's a I think it's a necessity. I think that you really in the design build process, the team is a, much to my uh, snarky comment about agency. <laughs> the team really is the one that has to drive the agency. Like, let's take the set of parameters, let's all put them on the table, <laughs> and let's you know sort of have a design ideation process whereby we say, got to build it for this have to have this much in it, have to use these kinds of systems, have to achieve this much sustainability. How do we do that? And then, and so, yes, I think that, I think that the whole process needs to shift to be valuable, right? to to be valuable. But I mean, how many design, it's like the graveyard, how many design buildings are there out there that never, that never got hate the word value engineered enough to be able to be built. Sure. It's delusional. It's true. Come on. Like if you you only have $200 to spend, don't pick a $200 square foot facade. Like, I mean, this is really simple math. You know, it's not hard. So, and it, of course, it is much harder than that. But, But the reality is, is that if you don't, drive the parameters to begin with. Yeah, but but everybody has to be on the same team, including the owner, developer, whatever 100%. that might be. Because as a good example, we did a building up, up in Harlem where the facade itself was too expensive for the building. And actually the building, the, the, the budget for the building was not correct. There was no way we could, if we took the entire facade off the building and literally you just fell to your death, didn't work. still didn't work. So it didn't matter what we put there. So right. it's, a, it, it's, Everyone has to come with term to the terms of this, like right from the beginning, yeah. or or it's a it, it's never going to work. And the urging I would have for architects is don't draw pretty pictures that you don't know how they come together <laughs> and right. send them to the developer so that they get excited about them, and then you spend the rest of the process trying, trying to, to let them down from what it is <laughs> that they imagine. It's very true. I will say we're good. Knock on wood, we're good here about being realistic. That is one thing we've drilled into everybody is let's not, you know, let's not get everybody excited and then ultimately have to, you know, tail between our legs, say, oh, by the way, you can't have any of this. You know, right. there's no worse feeling. So is there anywhere where modular construction is actually taught in at the university level? There are. There's some Several places. I mean, um, Ivan Rupnik in the University of Washington is a brilliant um, sort of MIT grad that has a whole system and process for modular education. There is a modular, there are modular um, sort of uh, uh, concentrations of functions. I think uh, university down in Georgia, there's tons in the UK because they're a little bit ahead of it. And then there's, there's several others sort of on the West Coast that now have, you know, sort of a, a modular construction concentration or or you know sort of okay. school classes etc interesting and is that has that translated to anything for you have you seen an uptick in things as a result i i, I mean there's look there's a a, a a will and a goal to understand okay uh, uh, there's a will and a goal to understand i, I mean we all know that sort of uh, at this point public private um you know sort of Money drives, you know, the, wherever the money's coming from is drive. So the one thing I can tell you that's happening is that every large general contractor in the United States has some either innovation division or offsite construction division, uh, whether that's a group of people or a single person or somebody okay. half time, somebody's there because their customers are saying, why aren't we doing this modularly? And they yeah. certainly weren't doing that five years ago. In no. fact. And so that doesn't mean that it's um, currently translating to a huge uptick, but there is a big uptick in modular. There's certainly a big uptick in modular investment from a, you know, sort of 
um, solutions perspective. Okay, that's good. That's great. So let, speaking of that, let's let's talk a little bit about modular construction itself. Um, so. Uh, you know, it's been around a long time. Um, and, and do you know kind of how long it's been around? Well, I mean, it, it's certainly been around since sort of post-war Germany. I mean, okay. it, it may be a little bit before then. And I, of course, now the rejuvenation of the Sears house, right? Well, yeah. That's coming back too. Same same thing. Yeah. So I think I think it's worth defining sort of offsite construction, yes, industrialized construction, modular. Mm -hmm. the, the nomenclature mm -hmm. is still yet to be defined or is evolving. <clears throat> um the way I look at it is it's a continuum of processes. So the idea is, is that you're trying to take um, the industrialization or the manufacturing process and integrate it into the built environment in a way that is helpful. So that could be something as simple as building switchgear or, or, or electrical bus duct systems or mechanical distribution systems or multi-trade pipe racks in a hospital or, or, or any combination of those things. Or it could be on the other end, um, a fully volumetric, fully built out building with the facade on, which is sort of what full stack does. And we, sure. we do some of the other stuff too. Okay. But so, so if you, and, and then there's panelized systems, all of those things are modular in some way. So or as another. an example, the glass walls that we use are in the office, right? Dirt and all those guys, that's all modular, right? Absolutely. Or as you said, a facade, a panelized it's facade modular. system, it's built and then kind of shipped and, and hung on the building. That's Yeah. That's or modular. panelized, you know, wall systems for, for, you know, three-story residential type five construction panel, you know, that's modular. Right. So, so yeah, there is a, there is a continuum of process and, um, and, uh, and, and many things work different for different uh, things like dirt. You know, we've collaborated with dirt a little bit. Uh -huh. Dirt does some very interesting things that are yeah. incredibly effective. Um, and then, uh, however, putting everything together in the factory, um, Increase increases productivity, decreases the time on site, increases sure. safety, all those things. Doesn't work for everything because right. uh, the shipping size matters, um, uh, which is which is you know which is the which is the um, which is the uh, is is the is the parameter that you have to sort of be sensitive. Right. To. And I, I want to get into that in a bit too, kind of all the specifics of of a fully volumetric um, piece. So so let's talk about traditional construction, right? Um, you know. Not all, but many projects and traditional construction come in over budget, not on schedule, especially right now with supply chain issues. You know, nothing's on schedule, but I think we all kind of realize that, mm -hmm. um, you know, and then not necessarily to the quality that I think, you know, at least us as the designers are looking for. Um, and maybe even, you know, the, the, the general contractor would tell you, well, we don't have the tradespeople to do it. This is kind of, you know, this is it. This is, yeah. this is the standard. Yeah. So where on the modular side, you know, is that, what is that fixing? Is it fixing yeah. all of it? Is it realistically fixing all of that? So a bunch of things. First of all, the reason that most of the world manufactures things is because they don't have um, artisan tradesmen of the middle ages to be able to achieve <laughs> the level of quality or frankly, the Masons that I, when I was a little kid that I yeah. sort of grew up with in Cleveland, Ohio, but there aren't many of those. Yeah. I mean, a, a guy who can pour terrazzo or, or do uh, a nice plaster finish with uh, some fenestration, it's small. And that's the, again, the extremes, but the reality is that it's everywhere yeah. and there are people going into trades, um, you know, consistently are decreasing and the level of skill is decreasing. 
the advantage of manufacturing is, is that you replace that skill for the most part, not completely, uh, with quality assurance, definitive processes, absolute instructions, and a controlled environment. And mm -hmm. so, so what you're doing is, is you're moving away the need for skilled labor into um, an integrated skilled process okay. for creating, which every, I mean, chip manufacturers, you know, car, um, manufacturers. car manufacturers, you know, soda yeah. can manufacturers, spaceships, computers. <laughs> I mean, everything, just almost everything, shoes. I mean, everything you, um, everything. But isn't that because the, even the spaceship, right, or the car, it's a very complex thing. But at the end of the day, it's it's the same, right? It's always the same. And what we do, you know, theoretically, everything's different. Yeah. Um, it's always. It's well, not though. It's I know it's not, but it right at least well, hey, the designer and the architect's mind is definitely different. So. <laughs> That's another thing that I would ask you guys to think about. The, the reality is the parameters are pretty simple. Like, not for everything. Look, right. if you're building a museum, if you're building a new public building in a space that has to have, but if you're building a multifamily building or an office building or you're building an airport, at the end of the day, the parameters are pretty tight. Right? Mm -hmm. There are option. There's optionality, sure. but there's a whole lot of parameters like sure. if you take what we do mostly multifamily buildings you need egress within a certain code almost everywhere in the united states you need a bathroom you, you need a bathroom within your within your space unless you're doing sros you need a window in the bedrooms except for if you're in portland oregon <laughs> and uh and, and and so all those things are reality and so so then what do you need to do you need marketing to know like what size that has to be and what sure. type of finishes you need you're basically done. So, so how many differentiations are there? There's not as many as we like to think there are. And frankly, there's a lot of opportunity in the leftover parameters. But embracing those parameters rather than trying to um, trying to push that envelope, yep. both literally and figuratively, is a, is just a waste of time. So, so it is mostly the same thing. And, and at the end of the day, it is like you're not wrong. And I and I I, I think. It's funny that you say that, and I want to challenge you and say, no, everything's different. Everything's different because that is part of my job, right? As the as the architect, but you're not wrong, and it's actually a criticism we have a lot of our own staff, right? Is that why do we reinvent the pantry? You know, if we're doing an office space over and over again, we start out as like, hey, we're going to design a, a brand new pantry from scratch. When the reality is, is that we have 99% of it that we've done right. literally thousands of times. We're changing finishes where we obviously the configuration is changing yeah. that kind of thing, but you're 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 correct in that the the the, the bones of of all of these objects right they are what they are yeah and it so I never really thought of it that way yeah well let's put it this way the architect really doesn't need to reinvent the wheel I mean maybe they want the wheel to look different maybe they want to live in hubcap but then you know it's round and it rolls like right, and right. so and so if you think about architecture that way and the reality is is that manufacturing is also that way manufacturing is focused on continuous improvement so continuous improvement can be it we can build it faster it can be that we're using more sustainable materials it could be that we are you know that that we don't have to do wet work which we hate to do in manufacturing but it could also be like it's a better looking it's a this is a better looking solution sure. i'm going to give you an example like 
we in the manufacturing like to build our kitchens or uh, or our or our bathrooms for that matter as as one set of lowers and one set of uppers all built together. The advantage of that is you're not putting boxes together, which is a total yeah. mess. Yeah, and, yeah. And, but you can do that, and you can do that. You just put a forklift and you drop it in place, and it's perfect. Yeah. Right. Um, and so that's that's just an example. So continuously improving that, yeah. having a pantry product that you improve time over time doesn't mean that things don't get better or can't look differently. Right. They're just productized. Right. And and that's the difference. Right. So back to the idea of the trades, you know, the trades. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I have a theory as to why we've lost a lot of that in America. Right. And, and just curious if your thoughts on this is that, you know, at one point, you know, we You'd go to high school and there was the vocational arts, right? And even the way it was titled, the vocational arts, there was something about it. It's not called the vocational arts STEM anymore. STEM schools and what? Yeah. And so we've, we've forced people um, away from sort of trades and forced them to go to college, right? And not necessarily everyone needs to go to college or might want to go to college, but we've forced that down and we've taken the art out of a lot of things. And I'm just curious if that's kind of what you mean in terms of you know, losing that trade. I, I think um, I think there's a whole bunch of parts of answer to that question. So part of it is that um, is that um, yes, there's not a huge motivation sort of in our education system as sort of middle of the road as it is in in the world in the world. In the world. Um, uh, um, that, then there is a drive sort of towards education, et cetera. But 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 there also is. Um, you know, generationally, there's a quality of life sort of differentiation. I don't know many. I have lots of friends who've got kids who are working now. Mm-hmm. Not too many of them want to go to a construction <laughs> site every day. I mean, they, they, they might go into the army, you know, or they might, you know, become a pilot. But but the, I, there's not many of them say, like, I want to get up every day and uh, at six o'clock in the morning and go stand on a construction site, get rained on. And <laughs> So, so I mean, that's a fact. Like, the, yeah. you know, if you talk to my kids' friends, like none of them are, are probably doing that. At, at the same time, in the workforce, in aggregate, there is a whole group of people <clears throat> who would really like to come to the same place every day in a controlled environment. Many have skills in their, say, maybe beyond the age where they're willing to climb steel anymore, for instance. Mm-hmm. Or some of them maybe are... Or, are, um, are are working parents that want to be home at three o'clock every day sure. and, and can work nearby the house or um, or they're not um, super skilled, but they're really good at following instructions and manufacturing is an opportunity to do all of that and still produce, you know, sort of high quality work without the level of skill that a sort of expert you know, carpenter. It's, yeah. like, it's funny. I don't like, I mean, my great grandfather was a carpenter <laughs> and I love carpenters. They're in my family, but I don't want a really good carpenter working in my factory because they like to fix things that are broken. And if it's broken, we're not manufacturing it. Right. And what I mean by it is like, if you're putting a piece of crown molding on, you just go to the table, you cut it at 45 degrees and you hang it. Yeah. And, I, and I don't need to tell you, like, that's not, doesn't happen in many commercial buildings. And no. somebody who's skilled and can do compound miters and all that in order to make it look like it's perfect <laughs> is really important. The difference is because in your factory, it, it is perfect. Or, we, so, or, somebody, or somebody failed and we have to do a root cause analysis instead of 
having a carpenter come in and spend an extra 10 hours trying to fix the problem. I love it. I love yeah. it. That's great. So now from a design point of view, um, we're doing some modular right now, uh, actually one in Phoenix, a hotel. Um, and so I actually did some of the design work for it initially. And I felt for me that it had to look modular. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm more of a purist when it comes to design. I don't like tile that looks like wood. Um, that, that drives me insane. I mm -hmm. hate tile floors that look like wood floors. There's uh, there's now these uh, masonry. They look like railroad ties, but yep. they're masonry. And those really annoy me too. <laughs> so I'm a purist about materials. Wood yep. should be wood. Masonry yeah. should be masonry. Stone should be mm -hmm. stone. That kind of thing. Um, so I felt that the the design of this hotel had to look like it was modular. Okay. Not that it was you know, a bunch of, you know, boxes hanging on one another, mm -hmm. but there had to be, when you found out it was modular, you'd say, oh, well, that makes sense. Right. Sure. That kind of thing. What's your feeling on that? Is there, because one of the reasons, the reason I bring this up is that we also toured a couple other modular buildings. We went to one in Atlanta, uh, which is where the client is. They took us to a hotel there and it looked like a Roman hotel. Right. right. And but it was all modular. Right. It had this big exterior, like gothic columns. Yep. And I didn't like the architecture in general. So maybe that really <laughs> sounds like it's based on your tonality. I'm sure yeah. it had more to do with that than yeah, exactly. yeah, it was trying to be something that really wasn't. And then yeah. when I found out it was modular, really didn't like it. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. What's your feeling on that? Is there does it matter? To, I'm sure it doesn't matter to you. It, but what, it does well, there? a couple of things. We have a West Coast factory. So next time you're building something on the West Coast, Portland. But but uh in addition to that, I, look, I think uh, I'm sort of with you in on, on things looking like what they are, mm -hmm. um, but I don't think necessarily that it needs to look modular. I mean, there are value propositions associated with that, right? So I'll give you an example, like we have a self-sealing facade, it gets installed in the factory and it's installed. So there is going to be a delineation on the modular space and the facade that's attached to the end. You can either embrace that mm -hmm. or you can not embrace it, but embracing it or not embracing it doesn't have to be sort of disingenuous. I'll just give you an example. Like you can have a, you can build a facade that has very little fenestration and completely shows the rectilinear nature of the mod. Mm -hmm. Or you could do something that has, um, more fenestration, maybe some shadowing and all that stuff. And then um, and then the shape of the building or the shadowing of the building becomes a focus rather than necessarily um, necessarily the delineation between the mods. They're still modular. It's not in, it's not that they failed to embrace the modular. It's right. just that they're they choose aesthetically to sort of concentrate on something else. And I think that it, if done authentically, uh, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. If you put 10 mods in and then you say, I want to run a, a big um, rain screen panel across all 10 mods. I think you're missing the point, yeah. uh, you know, okay. and you're losing a value proposition. Right. But I think that there's lots of, um, and, and, and you know, and even if you look at, um, there's four types of facades on, on uh, 461 Dean Street and some of them amazingly just like the shadowing it's sort of Escher-esque and it looks really good and some are like you know this is a mod and <laughs> and I don't I think they all work I, so I think it's sort of a choice okay. of, of the architect it's a place where the palette is really yeah there's, there's a there's an interesting design opportunity yeah. right where we're not I mean I like, look at that thing uh, that, that Diller and Scofidio uh, yeah. did with those you know and that could be modular right of course but it's not um, and we can get into why but 
uh, I think there's an interesting design opportunity or a vernacular mm. that you could you can explore mm. that'll take us away from just kind of right now. I feel like there's a lot of buildings that are just trying to be different just for the sake of being different. So maybe the, again, going back to the purest, yeah. well, there's a reason why it's different. Yeah, no, and I think that there is, like I said, if, if you if you work within that, uh, the opportunities are there if you embrace them. If yep. you try to hide them, per your point, you know, like I have this real wonderful wood floor that's ceramic. It's not a wood floor. It's the same kind of thing. I have this wonderful modular building and I really played up the sort of shadowing and the fact that it had southern exposure more than I did that it has sort of incremental spaces. That works. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Like where did you grow up? What did what did you want to be when you when you when grew, I grew up? up? I can't imagine your little kid thinking, ah, I want to build modular. <laughs> I don't know that that's not true, but I don't know that it's hundred percent true either. Um I am. Um, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I grew up. Uh, my my great grandfather, who I didn't know, was a carpenter. My grandfather was a carpenter, turn executive, and uh, ran lumberyards, and then the development company. Um, so uh, so I grew up around that. My father was a developer, so I grew up. You know, sort of grew up in that okay. space. I was a. I was an assistant superintendent at a at a couple of years. You know, sixteen years old, carrying three quarter inch plywood up ladders. Uh, so, so I, you know, I was indoctrinated into construction. And then of course, having worked for a development family, uh, you know, sort of worked in that space. So okay. I did that. Um, and, um, and then I built data centers and that's really, uh, so, so I evolved from a construction company, carpentry based uh, for obvious reasons. And then, uh, and then uh, joined uh, a partner and built uh, data centers. And it's where I learned all about, um, electric and structural capacity and mechanical distribution and all of that stuff, okay. which really drove um, the system that we created to build modular buildings. But you didn't go to college for that, right? What did no, you I'm, I'm a, I went to business school. Okay. I studied organizational psychology and management. <laughs> um, uh, although I, I often say in this business, I probably should have done veterinary medicine or zoology <laughs> or something, but, but, uh, but, uh, but I, I, I didn't. Um, but but I'm you know I'm a hack I hate I hate I'm impatient I, uh, I it's something I work on but I but I am impatient I don't like standing in line I don't like wasted time I don't like wasting other people's time to me the process um, of construction as wonderful as it is is so broken from yeah. a process perspective and we we did an amazing thing um, you know starting in the Middle Ages we did an amazing thing by delineating um, the process of creating a built environment. Um, into sections, CSI sections now, uh -huh. or master spec sections, that's totally disorganized from a process. It's just like parade of trades, call it whatever you want. Yep. At the end of the day, it's not organized in a way that makes sense. Yeah. And so you spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to organize something that is disintegrated yeah. um, uh, by its nature. Cost overruns are part of that process, and we've talked about some of the other sort of endemic systematic problems. So, so I it left me feeling like, why, you know, what's going on here? You like the carpenters do twenty five percent of the work, but it's done in six visits or seven <laughs> visits or eight visits. Like that doesn't make any sense. Like how could that possibly be? So, what can we do yeah. to move that along? And 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 it left me sort of thinking like, what? Why aren't we doing what everybody else do? Uh, and like, there's a, there's another and. Uh, to be fair, my grandfather in the 70s was involved in a, 
uh, with uh, with with um, Forest City and a, a guy named Tom Dillon, who was a uh, a genius of his time, um, who created um, one of the three systems that were utilized for Project Breakthrough, um, which there's a book on now mm -hmm. from St. John University, uh, which was. Um, uh, assisted living, affordable assisted living facilities. There are eight-story concrete modular buildings um, that were incredibly efficient. Mm. And uh, and so it's it has always been in my mind, like, why doesn't this work? What happens? And, and it was concrete, and we could get into sort of uh, materiality conversations, but um, it'll geek out and make everyone <laughs> gloss over. Um, but but uh, but but the interesting thing about that is that the original sort of center piece, which was a concrete core uh, that had all the mechanical and electrical run in it, this is in the seventies. Uh, running in it, and, and uh, Tom Dillon called it the heart module, okay. um, and it literally all everything was distributed there. So you just put in the kitchen cabinets, and boom, the piping was there, and you put the heating system right in there. there. It was all right there. And in the last two years, the the one who created those heart modules and the um, and the uh, and the concrete um, formwork precast solutions for that was Clark Pacific. And now Greg Otto is now working at Clark Pacific. Uh, I don't know if you know Greg Otto, but it used, yeah, he's I know he is, yeah. fantastic guy. Um, he's working with Clark Pacific to do a modular sort of precast uh, manufactured walls solution using the very system that was created sort of, uh, sort of in the 70s wow. for their project breakthrough. Obviously evolved. <laughs> uh, but uh, so, so I... so. That was a long answer, but that's sort of how I how I got sort of involved. In and that. so, how did full stack modular come about? So I was working at Four City, mm -hmm. and um, uh, Four City bought Atlantic Yards, which is now called Pacific Yards. Um, and uh, and uh, sort of funny, but uh, <laughs> but, but uh, it, uh, there was a need to build about six thousand five hundred affordable units. Um, I came from Cleveland, where the volatility of the construction market is doesn't exist. I mean, it basically goes up a half a percent or down a quarter percent. Does it really move? And um, I was here, my head was spinning. I was like, it was literally looked like this sadly stock market today, but right. in the opposite direction. Uh, and uh, and so it was, there's no way we're ever going to be able to do this. And, um, and I went to Bruce and said, look, let's do something that's been done before, but let's figure out how to do it for high rise, you know, for density in New York. Okay. Like, I'm not sure you can do it. And we went to Europe and Explored it. There. Uh, we saw them do it. They only built one tall building and just 25 stories that's still there. Now they've built two buildings that are taller than 461 Dean. And of course, Singapore has built 56 and 40 and 56 story buildings, but at that time had not been done. And um, and so that was the that was sort of like let's solve a problem. So it starts within Forest City, or yeah. you started okay, and then yeah. and then what happens? How do you end up breaking off completely? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that happened in Forest City, including become our real estate investment yeah. trust, and yeah. sold to Brookfield and all that stuff. <laughs> so while that was all happening, they sold off military housing, they sold off a bunch of portfolio products, and this okay. is one of them. Okay, and then you took it over yeah. essentially. Yeah. That's great. That's amazing.
And so, you know, you you guys created the tallest volumetric building in the world, or, or at least now in, the, now in North America, it yeah, wasn't yeah, in the world. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But it looks good. I am so excited that they keep breaking. I, I mean, the tallest building thing—it's um, sort of a little I reminiscent. Uh, it's a little reminiscent of San Gimignano. If you uh -huh. know the story of San Gimignano, it's uh, it's a little strange, but but it's also exciting, right? Because yeah. so it's it's a big deal to build a tall building out of boxes that get go together. So let's talk about your your process you know what makes full stack modular different what do you do you you know let's say the architect comes in and they have this idea you know, whatever they work with the client they're going to build an apartment building and what happens right well hopefully they call me when they're going to build an apartment building <laughs> to start i know yeah. what the parameters are um, so what are the parameters let's let's maybe start with that so, so um so to me, it's the question is, is what's the value proposition? So the value proposition, the idea is to move as much of the work into the factory and the controlled environment that you can and to eliminate as much work on site as possible. So one of those param that's one of the parameters. And that, that drives a whole bunch of decisions related to how big the rooms can be and how big the modules themselves can be, et cetera. So, um, so our mod max max size is what can be transported on a truck, which is 16 by 58. But our mods are never that size. But that's okay. that's so if you think about an apartment in New York or most parts of the country that are dense urban environment, you know, living space needs to be somewhere 13 or 14 foot wide rooms that are somewhere, you know, and 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 if you're an apartment and you have windows on one side, they can only be 32 feet deep max, but they're mm -hmm. usually 30. Mm -hmm. And if they're microgrids, they're 25. Right. Um, so 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 you're you know the parameters are fitting exactly what you would do anyway. And exactly. then and then um, our mods carry the hallways on one side and don't carry the hallway on the other. So that okay. they, they 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 go together. Okay. Um, and then, and then you're trying to design buildings so that the breaks between the um, between the rooms are breaks in mods, uh, and, and uh, which isn't complicated. It's just thinking, right? Yeah. So, so if you imagine that, like you know, in your living room, you have a you have a, a doorway to your bedroom in the right location, that can be a mod to a mod. Okay, uh, you know, for instance, but if you want a living room that's thirty by thirty, you're going to have Two mods come together, and then you're going to have to finish all that interfaces between them, sure. which is moving work to site. Doesn't mean you can't do it. It means that you should that you should limit the places that you do do it. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a value proposition. Right, right. Maybe it ends up on the corners, things of like course, that. Of course, or like, yeah. you know, if you if you have you're building luxury condos and every living room wants to be thirty by thirty. But just make sure all the bedrooms, all the bathrooms, all the den, all that yeah. stuff is not. That works. Yep. Okay. Um, uh, and obviously, the more efficient you want it to be, the absolute less you want to do sort of on-site finishing. You want to install, you know, trim that's already been cut in a doorway. Right. You want to install um, bathroom sub-assemblies. The other thing we we do is uh, our plumbing. We move try to get our plumbing towards the hallway so that we can do completely finished mods and all the connections happen. Okay. Vertically and horizontally in the hallway. Okay. Makes sense. What's different about us is, is that, is that we a put the facade on in, uh, in the factory and okay. it's self-sealing. So there's no work, no scaffolding needed on a building, nothing. It's just literally ready to go. Okay. Um, that we do full mechanical, electrical, and plumbing distribution. Uh, so you get all the pieces and parts to put this building together from whatever it sits on till the top of the building. Okay. And then the other thing that's different about what we do is, is that our, our structural system is part of our system. Okay. So you don't need a concrete core to tie to. Got you it. don't need to drag 
in, in, and we've designed seismically for California. We have two projects that are approved there. Uh, you don't need to drag that stuff back to the concrete core because the system has that built into. So they are literally boxes or modules that are sitting structurally one on top of one yeah, another. Carry their own that. gravity load. Okay. And, and then uh, seismic and or whatever force your other Do they carrying. get bolted together? Just bolted. Yeah, okay. welding on site. Okay. And what happens at the roof level? Do you have to put a roof on it you or do. is it roofed? Okay. Yeah. Everything gets a temporary roof. Everything gets wrapped and protected. Okay. Um, but ultimately, and obviously we run uh, drainage distribution and everything through, uh, and structurally it'll carry whatever it needs to on the roof. Okay. But because they're in boxes, um, you do need to put a sort of monolithic roof system generally with some tapered insulation and drainage. But we put we go all the way up to the parapet. So you just everything's modular all the way up to the parapet, and then you just have to flash up over that parapet, tie it into the roof, and, and you're done. those are standard roofing yeah. process. Okay, that makes sense. And so, talk to me about the digital twin that you yeah. create because I um, um so uh, the reason I ask this question is. I think we've talked about this before is, you know, the architect, we put in a lot of effort into our Revit model. Yep. And at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, we take all this 3D information that we have all worked out and we flatten it out and print it on a bunch of pieces of paper. And at this point, we don't even print it on paper. We just email it to right. the contractor and who knows what scale it gets printed right. out of and or what happens, right? right? Um, you know, you, so you're creating a digital twin essentially of, of the, the built product that you're doing, yep. is that coming from the Revit model with the architect or are you essentially scrapping what we've done and starting over? <laughs> so um, most of the time, we just ask the architects to do stuff in 2D because we have, <laughs> because we have to, I mean, this is, how you, it's like, this is some exciting stuff going on. So, because we have to then use the parameters that we have. We have to use the libraries that we use. We have to use the products and the SKUs that are in our process in order to do it. Mm -hmm. um, years ago, which I'm trying to revive, we actually created a template so that we could give the architect a template to make sure that the layers are correct and that the nomenclature is correct and that the, the labeling is correct and that, that we could probably do that. Now I'm seeing, because I talked to, you know, 25 architects a week uh, uh, and engineers. I'm now seeing companies uh, like a mechanical engineering company I heard talked to last week that says, we're willing to take things to level 400. Mm. You can give us your template and we will build within your template. That's sort of new. Okay. Uh, but I do think it's going to get there. Okay. And the technology, you know, is just gets better every day. Right. So, 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 so I do think um, that the continuum, the, the, the promise of a continuum uh, does have merit, and it it will get there. It's not there yet, but but it will get there. And we do we do we do run into architects who are who are understanding enough to sort of be able to figure out uh, and spend the energy on how to BIM integration. So, but yeah. usually what happens now, which is not what I like to do, by the way, because I don't like to waste time, is like. We, we do whatever we need to do to get a permit. And then we, we take over and start a grader and, yeah, yeah. and uh, we just, we, we, so where it works for us in terms of taking actual, you know, let's call it 3d elements that are the real thing that we're going to use is it works really well when it's a repeat client of ours that we know this is definitely what they're going to do. Yep. So it works in restaurants. 
So uh, we do lots and lots of restaurants. Mm -hmm. So for those restaurants, the kitchen equipment is the same by the same manufacturer. The bar equipment is the same by the bar equipment. And we're able to use that and utilize that. And then for us in the technology, we mock it up in real world in virtual reality. Mm -hmm. And we figure all of that stuff ahead of time. It works wonderfully with with the client because it is literally what they're going to get. Where we have issues is when we start using generic things, right? And it's yep. to be decided later, or it's um, whatever's going to be cheaper, right? Or whatever's available. Right. And so that's where you get into that issue. But I would love, and I think we've talked about this, is at some point, I don't want to have to do construction documents. I'd rather give you the model. And you don't, by the I mean, the architects we work with don't do construction drawings. They do sort of permit level drawings, mm-hmm. whatever that is. And it's generally not construction drawings. And that's the end. It's right? design at, intent. The, at the end, at, you give us the design intent, and then you then it's a switch, and then you you are design assist to us creating the building, and you're going to do exactly what we're doing all along. Say, please don't put all <laughs> those bricks in those locations. Then you're going to say, it really just looks horrible if you have yeah. the you know the the doorway and the you know in the up to of the bathroom to the kitchen. We should really change that. Like so, so you know, it would be that kind of that, those kinds of interfaces. So it switches. It would be nice if it was one process and it was integrated yeah. and integral. Um, and and I do think, I do think it's heading that way. But even all the hotel and we built we're building two hotels right now. But uh, the 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 hotel world who who could easily be part of parametric because they're build they haven't even adopted sort of like, yeah. uh, it's silly. It's like, it's like, come on, it's yeah. a hotel room. Like oh, design- we, we reinvent the hotel room every day. <laughs> every day. Every day. It like, looks exactly the same. Oh, we have different it. sites. Come on. <laughs> like, I mean, wait, okay. So you might have to, re- you might have to redesign 10% of your rooms it's because true. you lose a foot. It's absolutely but Everything else. It's exactly. When I tell you, we start from scratch on every hotel it's we do. So and that's usually the direction of the client. But they are focused. Like, you know, uh, so, you know, Citizen it's finally sort of focusing as many hotels as they've done and, you know, applaud their sort of focus on modular. They're finally embracing the idea yeah. that they should really all be the same. Yeah. Not just look the same, but like be the same. <laughs> and that's where modular, you know, the modular Works. value proposition. Yeah. How has your process changed since the beginning of full stack to kind of where you are now? Um, I'm a little less tolerant. Well, I was pretty intolerant to begin with. Um, uh, I, 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 and I and I sort of joke about that, but I just the, the 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 only way that modular really works is in a design build process. So the conversations we have is, oh, you know, I like to do this modular blah blah blah. And I'm like, great. Can we collectively come up with a team? Can you identify the parameters with which we want to we want to agree? And then let's work together to get that done. Mm-hmm. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't do anything else anymore, and th- okay. that's what's changed. Um, you know, I, I used to get twelve uh, sets of drawings a week that says, "Could you modularize this?" And I'm like, it's like, I feel like I felt like you know the magician with a big wand <laughs> and a hat and say, "Oh yeah, like it's going to get cheaper because we call it modular." It doesn't really work that way. So, what do you say to the guy who says that's ridiculous? I can have a framer there all my materials and I can build 10 times faster. I can knock that out. I can put up the sheetrock. I can, you know, do whatever. That's ridiculous. And I can save money. What do you say to them? Fantastic. <laughs> Good luck to you. I mean, look, at the end of the day, I was just you have to hear that all the time. Of course. <laughs> and I think, I think that's fine because honestly, why are you coming to talk to me if that's the case? Right. And, and um, you know, the other thing is, is that like any manufacturing, 
you know, the, re- the, the repetition of the process, which would say is where the value proposition comes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you have to embrace the idea of using something over and over again, at least to some level. It doesn't mean the finishes have to be the same or it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be the same building, but like, you like the same bathrooms, like I pick three bathrooms, like, you know, same, let's have bedrooms, let's have a, you know, a small bedroom and a big bedroom and have, make it work. And if you take all those pieces and parts and, um, then there's a value proposition and we can build it faster and we can give benefit to the, to the end user. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was just talking to an underwriter, I think two days ago and they were saying, we just add 20% to all projects from an underwriting perspective, because we know they're going to be over budget and we uh, over budget. And then we add 12 to 15% extra time because we know they're going to be late. Uh I'm like, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, it's not good. It's, so my answer to your question is like, if you, if you look, there are people who are in the trenches that can definitely build less expensively than modular. Right. And if you, if you fight tooth and nail, you can do it. Um, what we can do is we can, we know what the cost is almost immediately. Mm-hmm. We can build cost predictably and time predictably. We can save a ton of time. Yeah. Huge amount of safety. Far less workers on site, far less workers comp, no scaffolding. I mean, I'm just giving you something like, yeah. no matter what, if it's even price, you're saving money. Yeah. If it's even hard cost price or... Well, and time to market. Yeah. I mean, time and to market. early revenue recognition should matter unless you're going to have an empty building when you're done. So, right. you know, so yes, that's sort of... yeah. So last on the specifics, is there um, is there a height limit that you can go to at this point? Is there... Um, you know. <laughs> You said you can build in California, so obviously there's seismic wind, seismic. We can do that all. Okay. Um, and so, what's the so, largest you've done so far well, today? Thirty-three stories is the okay. tallest so far. Uh, but that system can take in a non-seismic area up to forty-five stories in a double in a corridor and up to sixty-five in a tower. And who's testing this? Uh, well, it's it's um it's either prescriptive design or okay. or or um uh. It's either prescriptive design or it's um or it's peer review um, okay. or it's some element of testing that's okay. required. Okay. Um, but there's nothing we're using that is um there's nothing we're using that is not uh, sort of standard engineering processes. What is different is the way that we use them uh, from a modular perspective. You know, a lot of times there's um sort of overlap. I'll give an example. So in a brace frame, normally a brace frame will carry some gravity load and some brace because you don't want to waste the steel, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we don't do that. We separate them. Uh, it has huge advantages from tall buildings because then the way that you uh, the way you separate the the actual brace frame from a fire code perspective is different than if it has gravity load, right? So sure. Just, um, our system has built into it integrity provision. So it's sort of a process of what we already have. Seismically, we can go up to 28 stories for sure, because we have a design that takes it there. I think we could go taller, okay. um, but we can definitely do that. So, so height is not a problem. We, we tend not to be incredibly cost-effective, sort of, if you could build it out of wood. Um, okay. you know, so if it's five stories with a two-story podium, podium. Yep. it's going to be marginal at seven stories. It's not going to be cost-effective at five. And then so okay. once you get above that, it starts to be pretty cost-effective. Interesting. Okay. We're an all steel solution. We don't use any concrete. We use cementitious board and steel right. chassis. Okay. Um, and uh, and it's pretty flexible and it's incredibly rigid. It's very easy to install. 
And then we, we, you know, we are building some componentry of that, you know, bathroom pods for, you know, commercial buildings and that kind of stuff, stairwells. And then, so on the commercial side, if you built a bathroom, do you hoist it into place yep. and kind of slide it in the side yep. of the building? Yeah, like, we're okay, working on that. the logistics of that right okay. now for something just down, uh, just down the street. So um, okay. that'll go in first quarter of next year. Uh, so 100, it's all the commercial, it's all the bathrooms uh, for an entire building. Okay. Um, uh, all, all, all gender restrooms, uh, you know, ADA and non-ADA. And so we, we were hired to create a series of components um, that they're interchangeable to, to work. But not to get too technical, is there then a lip on the floor? Like, it, it, you know, it's got to have a base, it has, right? It so has, you right. have to so step we, up into it. So, so we can go as little as half an inch. Really? Uh, as little as half an inch. Which is not our favorite thing to do that kind of <laughs> stuff, but we can, and we do that for our existing uh, residential buildings. Or you could actually do a built-up floor to 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 meet a um a raised floor or some okay. kind of thing. So so we have. If you think lot, about it ahead of time, you can figure that you out. You have basically. to think about it ahead of time. But if you have your choice, you can go as, but, but you need a half an inch. Okay. You, you can't you go less than half an inch. Yeah. You can't have nothing. Okay. Got it. Got it. But, you know, a threshold does that. And so you mentioned early on this year's Roebuck catalog yeah. house, um, which is fine. It's one of my last questions in here was sort of the the shift from the city to the suburbs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, are there scenarios where the, the, the modular build works as a single family home? There are lots of people doing it. Okay. Um, there is a process by which it makes a lot of sense. Um, we are building some autonomous dwelling units, sort of the single mod or two mod solutions. Right. Our system, the way we work, our factory doesn't work very well with sort of varied components, uh, you know, lots of uh, add-ins. But there are a ton of people out there who are okay. doing it very effectively. Um, and... Uh, and and the, and it's you know and, and even if you build panelized, I mean, when I was a carpenter in Cleveland and I had a carpentry company in Cleveland, we built houses for Ryan Homes, and they were sending out panelized walls. Sure. Of course, they didn't have any quality assurance, so they would pour a foundation that was out of square, and then they would tell us to put it together. And I'm like, I I, I can't yeah. really make these walls go together when the foundation is like. Well, that's how Toll Brothers pre-built exact the, same thing. They, same they build thing. it. They they panelize mm-hmm. all of the the wood frame, and it comes to site. Yeah. And they, but they have to have carpenters there to kind of fit it all together. And yeah. then there's a lot of on-site kind of cutting. And yep. but it is kind of there already, right? I mean, yeah. it does save time if you if you put up two identical houses and you did yeah. it the Toll Brothers way versus the yeah. traditional way. Those Web, Toll Brothers guys are framed in a week Web, or less. <laughs> Web Homes, Pulte, Toll Brothers. I mean, they, they have done it for Lennar. Mm-hmm. They've done it for a long time. The mass customization, which is what you're talking yeah. sort of about, is been around for 45, 50 years. I mean, yeah. even, um, even, uh, even, um, Levittown, you know, so, yeah. so, so it's been around forever and it works. Yeah. Interesting. So Sears robot coming back. It is. There's a whole bunch of, there's a whole, it is. It was revolutionary. And it was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, by the way, those houses are still around. I know. Right? I know. And, and, and yeah. And they were mostly, um, um, uh, uh, what was the um, architectural style? They were mostly um, craftsmen, yeah. sort of style houses, which are you know yeah. still stand the test of time. Standing the test Absolutely. of time. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, is there anything we haven't covered that you'd want to discuss? Hmm. Um, 
honestly, I, I, uh, I think we've, we've covered a lot. Um, you know, I mean, our, our space, uh, you know, earlier you mentioned sort of our space is mostly, you know, residential, multifamily, student housing and hotels. Hotels fit okay. the exact same bill per year, it per makes, our conversation. Makes sense, yeah. But as I said, sort of componentry, if you think about 70 story towers in a city, if we build all of the fire rated stairwells in a factory, how much time and money and space do you save? Yep. Same thing with elevators. Our, our tolerance is, you know, less than an inch. Um, you know, we're getting to the point where hopefully we're going to be watching. Well, actually, we're talking about installing doors in the factory. So if you think about all the time that you wait for an elevator once you've topped out a building, imagine if it's less than two or three weeks. Yeah. So, so all of those things are added values, no scaffolding, added values to the idea of, of modular, volumetric modular construction that is really good for, and the neighbors. Yeah. No neighborhood disruption. It's so, true. Yeah. There's much less noise, I would assume. And there's got to be a, a green component to this, right? There's l- l- less waste along yeah. the way. You're planning every little square inch. There's no... Yeah, very tight envelope, um, as sustainable as you'd like to be, as little carbon footprint as you like. I mean, modular begs, um, single source of power. So electric, all electric. I mean, even 461 Dean was all electric. Like okay. was, and, and everybody was worried about it. And now, of course, now you can't even get gas in New York sometimes. But at the end of the day, if you're going to be sensitive to the environment, you'd yep. like to be able to use your Tesla or your Rivian to cook at night when everybody else is cooking, right? If you think about that and, that and the ability to have diversity of load, um, now you know the data center value. Because if you're having diversity of load, you can do that yeah. by having it all be one thing. Yeah, amazing. Well, thank you so much for for being the guest here on the Anti-Architect podcast. Um, and, you know, thanks for helping push the industry forward. I think it's a, it's a good service that you do just in general, but then obviously the quality of your work and everything that you're you're doing. Um, and I hope we get to work together more. Uh, Likewise. Things, so. Likewise. Thanks, Christian. Yeah, it's thank you. Uh, is there anything, well, to, to see and read more about Roger and Full Stack Modular, you can visit their website. Uh, is there, there's tons of videos, by the way, with Roger online. Uh, probably some of the same, similar lectures that I saw you give. Um, and is there anything, you know, you want to promote social media wise or... I will look out for announcements in the next month. There's a whole bunch of interesting stuff that Fullstack is doing in collaboration oh, awesome. with a bunch of people, um, and uh, and and we're super excited about it. So okay, look and of course, to. I said we're on the West Coast. So if you're yeah. uh, if you're hearing this from California and or Arizona or Oregon, you want to build some of this uh, some of this stuff out there. We're we're uh, we're, we're operational Perfect. in Portland, Oregon. So. Awesome. Well, thank you again. I appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it.